Hi, I'm Michael G. Williams, and welcome to Social Distancing Radio. I'm a novelist, and a reader and friend of mine asked if I would record myself reading one of my novels as something they would find comforting and familiar in the midst of the uncertainty and anxiety of the COVID-19 pandemic. I'll be reading to you from Perishables, the first book in my five-book urban fantasy and vampire series, The Withrow Chronicles, published by Falstaff Books, aka FalstaffBooks.com. If you'd like to pick up a copy for yourself, head over to bit.ly, that's B-I-T dot L-Y, slash Perishables link. That goes to Amazon. Thanks. Hey, welcome to the fourth installment of me reading Perishables to you. Let's get going. At this point in the story, Withrow is at a neighborhood association executive board's meeting. He has neighbors whom he does not necessarily like and who do not like him, do not know he is a vampire, and a kid has just shown up and told him there are dead people walking around in the street. The backyard was silent for a moment when I stepped outside. Killer ceased his yapping just long enough to look at me and Smiles' growl stopped as soon as I was in his presence again. For those few seconds, I closed my eyes and opened my ears and let my senses roll out across the yard, then over the fence and into the adjacent lots, on out across the neighborhood. I could hear televisions in several houses, a cough that sounded like it wouldn't get better anytime soon. Had to be old Lady Jenkins, the one with all the in-home care, a couple of radios tuned to a local call-in request show. I could hear soft footsteps on the grass, someone shifting their feet back and forth. I could hear shuffling, shoes scuffing against asphalt as though a drunken man were staggering down the street. And another. And another. Very softly, I could hear Mary Lou praying under her breath. I opened my eyes and the night was gone. Darkness is no enemy of mine and these old eyes can slice right through it. Smiles was watching me, waiting patiently for a command. I signaled him to stay and went out the gate to the front yard. Mary Lou was standing at the curb on the grass, looking one way and then another, and shifting her weight between her feet. Her lips were moving, but I don't think she was exactly in charge of what was coming out. Fight or flight is not an instinct many people are really at home with anymore in their insulated little lives. I strode up and cleared my throat from about six feet back. Mary Lou whipped around with wide eyes, took a moment to recognize me, then turned back and looked mutely up the street. I took two more steps to stand beside her and followed her gaze. Three corpses in their one-time Sunday best were staggering mindlessly in small circles in the middle of the street. They were probably 30, maybe 40 feet away. If they had noticed us yet, they didn't have much in the way of showing it. They just turned and turned and turned again, arms stiff by their sides, hands clenching and unclenching reflexively. You'll not mind, I don't describe their faces. Mary Lou was outside the mind of someone who could form words for the moment. It is said that there are stranger things in heaven and earth, etc., and they ain't kidding. I know the world holds some esoteric and arcane shit because I'm one of those things myself, but I had never seen the dead literally walk. I mean, we've all seen the movies, right? I have, anyway. Shit, for a solid three decades, all I had to watch at night were old movies on UHF channels. These fellows weren't exactly Night of the Living Dead and weren't exactly Frankenstein. 
No one could confuse them for a mutant or a junkie on a bad batch. They were dead things, plain and simple, walking around. They did not moan. They did not hiss or howl. They just turned in slow circles around and around, their eyes locked in front of them. Go inside, I said to Mary very softly. Just go inside. Lock the door behind you. She still wasn't very capable of listening and just stood there. I started to get antsy. Surely they would notice us eventually, right? Surely they would sense we were there. Smell us or hear us or see us or something. They were dead, yeah, but in the movies that's always how it happens, right? Someone screams and the zombies all stop what they're doing, turn slowly and charge. I really didn't want to be in that scene of the movie. I always hated those parts the worst when some idiot loses their shit and gets everyone else killed. I put my hand around Mary Lou's chin and turned her head so that she looked me in the eye. With all the force of personality I could muster, I bored my mind into hers and said very distinctly, Go inside and lock the door and let no one inside. There's a reason why the Count always gets what he wants when he's alone with somebody in the vampire flicks. Mary foggily turned around and started stumbling back towards her front door. I watched her go, checking over my shoulder to see if there were three walkers to see if the three walkers up the road had heard us or anything, and as she neared the front door she reached for the knob. The door opened before she could get there, though, and Franklin not Frank poked his head out. Everything okay out here, he called to me unnecessarily loudly. He was scared and wanted to demonstrate to everyone that everything was precisely okay out here. I heard the scuffling in the street stop and turned around and look. None of the walkers were looking at me, but they had turned towards the house and the front door and the source of the shout. They started shuffling towards the house and their stiff arms started to twitch. I will kill that man before they do, I swear to God, I thought. What I said, however, was yelled over my shoulder. Get her in there and shut that fucking door. Well, there's no need for, Franklin started to say, but Mary was still under my orders, and so she shoved him back inside, followed him after, shut the door calmly, absently, behind herself, and I heard the deadbolt slam home. Well, that was something, at least. The walkers were making achingly slow progress. In five seconds, they got about as many feet, and so I clicked my cheeks twice. Smiles jumped the Reinholds' fence from a sitting start and bounded up to my side. Guard, I said, and Smiles braced himself on all fours, eyes on the lead walker, a growl starting to climb the stairs way down in the bottom of his chest. Picture the scene for a moment, if you will. A suburban McMansion squats on an otherwise 60s-ish street. The house itself is mammoth and beige, and appears to have been dispensed from a machine designed to manufacture the word dull made manifest. A morbidly obese guy in blue jeans and a t-shirt with a big fireball on it is standing there with his arms crossed over his chest. A Rottweiler two sizes too big is standing next to him, ready for a fight. A droplet of pink foam is at one corner of the dog's mouth. It growls deeply, like a bone saw dropped three octaves. There are three obviously dead people in black suits walking towards them. Their arms twitch, their hands clutch at the air, their faces are expressionless because their faces aren't really there anymore. In the distance, a small dog is working its heart out to sustain a crescendo of barking. A man is shouting questions inside the house behind them. The walkers come painfully, slowly down the street, shoes dragging, one of them barely able to walk for what appears to be a crushed hip. He's injured in a way that for a living thing might spell death, but he's still moving under his own power. They approach to 20 feet. 
They approach to 15. The fat man draws a breath. I was, I want to know, ready to fight. I would have killed all three of them. Again, I guess, right out in the street, in front of God and the Neighborhood Association's executive board, and everybody. I could answer their questions later. I could come up with a story about a martial arts class I'd sign up for, a home gym I'd bought, some semi-plausible reason why a guy who looks like me would know that much about hand-to-hand combat. I drew one great breath and flexed every muscle in my body and heard my heart jerk in my chest so that it said, Thudup, very loudly, and old blood started to push through my veins. Blood does many things for my kind. Hearing a heartbeat, even our own fake one, can do wonders for morale. The lead walker got within ten feet of me, and I kicked out one leg so that I was standing with my feet spread, one forward or the other, hands open, arms bent at the elbow. I was ready to pounce, and Smiles had shifted his weight so that his front was crouching and his ass was in the air, ready to do the same. His growl was a powerful and steady grating, and I started to growl myself, the two of us ready to kill. The lead walker got within five feet of me and stopped suddenly, then wheeled and started shuffling more quickly in the other direction. I blinked, and Smile's growl ceased for a moment. The leader stumbled right past the other two, got about ten feet, and then started doing circles again. The other two likewise got within five feet of us, spun around, and headed in other directions. I relaxed for a moment and watched them. Smiles wasn't going to move until I gave him another command, so I stepped gingerly around to my right and forward in a great arc, keeping about ten feet between me and the lead walker. Then I stepped within five feet of him, and he tore off, as best he could, in the opposite direction. I tried it again with one of the other two and got the same results. The walking dead, I realized, were afraid of me. One of the ones I'd spooked made the mistake of staggering within a couple of feet of smiles, and my old dog was quick to react. He had the guy's throat in his teeth before I could make a sound, and two seconds later, smiles was standing on its chest. I heard bones snap, and the walker's head popped clean off, rolling a few feet before thumping against the curb. The body was limp under smiles, and he stood there growling at the corpse's head where it came to rest. So they feared me, but not my dog. I thought about this just long enough to realize it before a phrase I hate to think on overmuch came to mind unbidden. Food chain. Thanks for sticking around for the fourth installment of me reading Perishables to you. I'm Michael G. Williams. Come back next week and I will read the fifth installment. This is going to be a Monday through Thursday night kind of thing. So I'll see you then. Thanks a lot. Thanks for listening. This podcast is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives license. The theme music is Plucked Contemporary Boom by Kara Square, available under a Creative Commons Attribution license at ccmixter.org.